0: hello there hello everybody welcome to the atomic skull podcast i am your host my name is matthew and i am a sagittarius that is one of many things you are going to be learning about me this week, whether you like it or not. I am going to jump right into discussing the inaugural Gold Star question that I asked in last week's episode, which is, what are the final five songs that you want to hear before you die? I got an overwhelming response and more than a few people were angry at me which i am very okay with anger and anxiety are the desired effect with this question i enjoy hearing about your guys's misery so much i want to eat it and the reason why is because i'm right there with you i came up with this question like six months ago and it took me forever to answer then when i came up with the answer i have probably changed the songs like a dozen times before i get to my five I wanted to break down some of the responses that i got because i thought it was super insightful there weren't a lot of obscure songs which i thought was really interesting most of the lists that i got were full of relatively popular tunes the song that showed up the most was wish you were here by pink floyd they are my absolute favorite band That is a beautiful song, I have no problem with that. Second place, surprisingly enough, is Dream On by Aerosmith, which is so hot. The artist that showed up the most, by far, and this was surprising to me, is Joni Mitchell. Over half of the women who wrote into me included some kind of Joni Mitchell song. I had at least one or two say, literally any Joni Mitchell song. I want to give a special shout out to everyone who tried to sneak more than five songs in there on the list. You know who you are, you damn troublemakers. It was easily combated by telling each of you guys, look, either you cut it down to five or I will cut it down to five and they cut it down to five. Once again, I will be an asshole to anyone you want for any occasion on your behalf for a nominal fee. Podcast at gmail.com. A lot of the lists that I got had the songs in no particular order, but I wanna recognize all those little control freaks out there who had a particular order to their songs. And a lot of final songs, like the last ones, were, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but they were cheesy. I'm not, I'm not throwing any shade. I think that this particular occasion would be the exact right time to be cheesy. A couple of the notable last songs were My Way by Sinatra, What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong, and a killer cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door that I had never heard of before. All right, here we go. So for my five, they are in order. And something I realized after looking at the list for a while is the thing all of these songs have in common is they relax me. They put me at ease in one way or another, which makes sense when you kind of think about the context. The first song is Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts one through nine by Pink Floyd, all the parts. Any of you ancient Pink Floyd fans out there, I know you're gonna try and tell me that even though they were all on one album, parts one through five was one track, parts six through nine was a separate track, but even the band says that it is all one piece of music. Meanwhile, I'm the one who's about to die and I want all the fucking parts. So that is the song one. Song number two is Stay High by Britney Howard. I absolutely love the Alabama Shakes, which Brittany Howard is the singer for, but her voice is so good and the music that she does as a solo artist, so much more soulful. And Stay High is a perfect example of where she does her best work. The message in it and the vibe that it has is gorgeous. I love it so, so much. Song number three, and I'm not trying to get it here. You guys are going to think I'm kissing a little bit of ass, but I promise you I'm not, is To Be Loved by Jackie Wilson. It is the song that uh, my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, and I had our first dance to at our wedding. But also, it's just one of the great love songs of all time. The song is in my favorite movie. I love it. It makes me feel everything. It has to be on this list. Song number four, and this is where things kind of take a left turn, is Always Look on the Bright Side of Life by Monty Python from The Life of Brian. Look, if you can't laugh about your life at least a little bit and you take it that seriously, you are doing it wrong, man. I love Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, and I just want to go out in a little bit of style. The last song, number five on the list, the one I want to hear before I check out is... Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Bohemian Rhapsody, I don't know that I would say that I consider it my favorite song, but I may consider it to be the best song ever written. It has every kind of genre in it. It is beautiful. I have a lot of personal history with it, I have a lot of emotional history with it. It would be a wonderful, wonderful note to go out on. So, Those are my five. Let me know if you have any thoughts on any of those. Again, I appreciate you guys sending me in all of your lists and hurling all of your anger at me. It definitely made my week. And that brings us to the next gold star question, which just like this episode is most certainly music related. Luckily for y'all, it is far less existential. I want you guys to tell me Five bands or artists that you love, and then tell me a song by each of them that you can't stand. I'm really excited to hear about this one because it's so important to be critical about the things that you love. Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com, Instagram. Atomic Skull Podcast, slide into my DMs, reach out, send me your list. Cannot wait to hear your answers to this question. I will tell you mine next week. A few other things that I want to get to before we dive back into that whole music thing from last week. I want to make my way to the domestic part of the show. I hope you all don't mind me being domestic at you for just a minute. I'm super excited for this weekend because Mrs. What's-Her-Name is going out of town. Usually I tell myself that's the time to like get shit done around the casa, right? We have 73 skulls on display, no kidding, and they always need to be dusted. There are weeds that need to be pulled. I need to catch up on movies and TV shows I haven't seen. Uh, there's random toolsing and fixing things where I have to get into a tool chest that I absolutely have because I'm a big, strong man. But this time, I'm not doing any of that shit. I am going to spend my whole weekend medium pimping. I know that I talked about this last week, but I am not done with it. I want to turn it into a thing, and I want all of you weird kids out there to help me. My medium pimping moment coming up this weekend is I am going to go to the killer Mexican place that we have down the street. It's that kind of Mexican place that you just don't wanna go in the kitchen because you know there's shenanigans going on back there, but whatever is coming out of it is absolute gold. It's one of those kind of places. I am going to get an order of chips and salsa so big, I could sleep inside of the bag when I'm done. I am going to have a couple of shots and a couple of cocktails, and I am going to watch multiple shows and movies that i have seen a billion times already will i turn on some vintage law and order and watch hang em high mccoy throw some baddies in jail will i catch some classic british version chicken <laughs> chicken nightmares <laughs> you know what i was going to cut that blooper out but i am going to absolutely leave it in because that is some hysterical shit any vegan listening to this right now would be like anytime you eat chicken it's a nightmare i will be watching some classic british version kitchen nightmares I- <laughs> oh man i'm so i'm so so all right i'm so tired uh, I am long overdue for a showing of some 80s B-movies, and when I say B-movies, I mean Beetlejuice, Back to the Future, and Big Trouble in Little China. All's I know is that I'm going to be pantsless, tipsy, sitting in my comfortable ass recliner, and whatever I watch, I am going to fall the fuck asleep halfway through. If I finish a whole episode of Law & Order, or a whole movie, I am going to be pissed i want to be fat sassy and full of chips and salsa and that ladies gentlemen and others is how i do medium pimpin i want you guys to reach out to me the usual ways i've already talked about it a couple of times i'm not gonna slap you in the face with it again until a little later tell me how you do medium pimpin and i will read every single example that i am sent in future episodes verbatim. I want to hear about how you guys kick back or have fun or chill or, you know, just feel like a champ. One movie that I did get to watch over this last week or so was Prey, the Predator movie. I thought it was pretty good. It was solid. I am a fan of Predator. I loved the first two movies. I liked Alien vs. Predator as a friend. This one, Prey, was set in a different time. They actually had some character building, which is very off book for Predator movies. It felt as much like a celebration of culture as it did a Predator movie, maybe even more so. There wasn't a lot of Predator in it, which was kind of cool. It made it sort of scary which is you know what they want to do with the predator in the first place i feel like it would be super awesome If they did different predator movies in different eras of history, I would love to see one of those ugly motherfuckers show up in feudal Japan and get sliced up into oblivion or like World War II Russia. Or if you really want to mess with people, have predators show up in like modern day Canada. They wouldn't even kill anybody because they don't see Canadians as a threat. So the predators would just like hang out in Canada and overdo it on warm beer and poutine until they show up somewhere in Quebec And then here's the twist, everyone in Quebec is speaking French and is being so annoyingly nice and kind, the Predators just end up killing themselves, and then you can just roll the credits. I don't know. I've seen Hulu do worse. (laughs) So let's do the best and worst of the week, because I have been dying to talk about this for days. The best of the week, you guys. Better Call Saul. All of it specifically the finale, holy shit, but all of it. I'm going to stay relatively spoiler-free here. I do not want to be that guy, but I absolutely have to break it down. The series is phenomenal. Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul, he started the series really well, but he was very open about the fact that he took acting classes, which, good for him, man. Like, he was going to be the lead of a series. I think this is the first drama series he's ever led he got he got classes he got way better he acted himself into a fucking heart attack last season he he has done a phenomenal job he has been most improved in a series ever that I can think of as far as acting ability goes meanwhile if Ray Seahorn does not get every Emmy for her portrayal as Kim Wexler I'm cracking skulls. And I mean it, she deserves all of them. She kicked so much ass in every scene she was in. She should win an Emmy for outstanding lighting design in a variety special. I can't say enough about how wonderful the series was orchestrated as a whole. They did this great thing that I loved so much where the present day scenes were black and white, but the flashbacks were in color. That was genius to me. They found a way to organically bring back a bunch of Breaking Bad characters, and on top of that, they found a way to make the stakes for the characters super high. That's why I tend to have a problem with prequels, because it's really hard to have high stakes for characters when you know where they're going to end up. That's kind of why the whole Obi-Wan situation on Disney Plus didn't really keep my pool hot. It's hard to create a drama-filled space chase when multiple main characters from the original trilogy are on the ship. I don't care how much they're getting fired at. I think everyone's going to be fine. Obi-Wan and Vader having a lightsaber battle? I don't even care. No significant change is going to be happening to either one of those characters. So what's even the fucking point? Please don't. Don't turn the episode off and whine at me for talking a bunch of shit about your beloved galaxy far, far away. I will absolutely admit that Rogue One was a pretty damn good prequel. And the reasons why? There were no Jedi. There were no lightsabers. There was nary a Skywalker in sight until the very end. We got to see this awesome war that we mostly have only heard about being fought directly on the ground and how it affected people in a real way i love that so much we hadn't seen that before i'll also be the first to admit that that vader scene at the end was pretty badass they did a lot of good things with that movie while we are on the subject of prequels a couple other ones that were pretty badass i loved hannibal i love what they did with that show the character of hannibal lecter has always been super interesting to me having someone else play him other than anthony hopkins was a huge risk but they did really well with that show. X-Men First Class was pretty great. And by pretty great, I mean Fastbender. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Here's the thing with that movie. It is not the greatest thing to watch, but it is super ambitious, and I love that. They tried to make it completely different from Raiders of the Lost Ark. A lot of people don't realize it is a prequel. Technically, it took place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. I do like Godfather 2. It is a prequel and a sequel, but so is Better Call Saul. And pound for pound, it might be better than the original Godfather movie, which, don't hate me for this, it's kind of boring. Hashtag hot take summer. All right, back to Better Call Saul. I can't talk about the finale without talking about the Breaking Bad finale. And I'm gonna spoil the Breaking Bad finale a little bit. If you haven't watched Breaking Bad yet, shame on you and you deserve this torture. Mm -hmm. The Breaking Bad finale was like a literally a raise my arms in the air and scream at the TV level of satisfying. I absolutely did that multiple times when the machine gun obliterated everyone towards the end. I swear to God, I almost pissed my pants. And watching Jesse Pinkman give Todd his just desserts in the most intimate way right after that was beautiful. If you know, you know. And then that last shot with Walt. While Baby Blue by Badfinger played, it was perfection. It was so cathartic and I loved it. The Better Call Saul finale was the opposite of that in every way. There was no hero moment at all. There was no hero. The whole final season built up to this crescendo. And then in the finale, it was just this subdued, quiet ending. That last five minutes oh my god and i'm gonna try to be careful here for those of you who haven't seen it that cigarette at the very end and then that wide quiet shot with the finger guns and then credits and that was i've never had end credits sneak up on me like that i went i immediately went into denial so Don't arrest me, but I torrented the episode like a filthy rotten pirate. And I thought that the torrent was missing a segment. I felt like that couldn't have been it. But then I sat back and I took a second and I realized, holy shit, it was perfect. And I think it's going to go down as one of the best finales of all time, just like Breaking Bad. If you haven't gotten to either of those shows, get to it, because you will be glad you did. Moving on to the worst of the week, and we have yet another Marvel Ho alert. I I know I keep bringing it up. It's not that I am obsessed and am constantly talking about it, which I am and I am but they just are putting out a lot of content right now. The worst of the week are idiot men who seem to enjoy toxic masculinity more than female-led comic book movies. She-Hulk premiered this last week on Disney+, and even before it came out, it got review-bombed. All female-led Marvel projects get review-bombed. Isn't that strange that... Men have complaints about every single female-led Marvel movie or show. Captain Marvel, too boring. They only did a Black Widow movie because Scarlett Johansson whined about it because she didn't have her own movie. I'm just gonna YouTube the scenes in Jessica Jones that Luke Cage is in because that's all I really care about. Miss Marvel was way too Muslim. I don't get the first episodes of WandaVision. They are dumb. And now, dudes are complaining about She-Hulk. Because apparently, while women can sit through movie after movie listening to the plight of men who save the universe, God forbid that comic book nerds with penises spend 90 seconds in one episode of one show being subjected to the female experience. And that's not even in a superhero movie, that is life. I want to read a quote from the show. Directly that I thought is one of the best things that I have heard in a comic book movie overall. The context here is Hulk Bruce Banner is asking She-Hulk Jennifer Walters why and how she is so good at Controlling her anger when she turns into her version of the Hulk and this is her response verbatim quote Here's the thing Bruce I'm great at controlling my anger. I do it all the time. When I'm catcalled in the street, when incompetent men explain my own area of expertise to me, I do it pretty much every day because if I don't, I'll get called emotional or difficult, or I might just get murdered. So I'm an expert at controlling my anger because I do it infinitely more than you. That particular quote that men have taken exception to online and the awful shit that i have personally read that dudes have said just proves the point of the quote oh that pisses me off so much now that we got all that out of the way let's get back into this whole music thing i am ready i am drooling and you know what they say about sequels part two always gets dark and I assure you that is one aspect in which I will not disappoint. We will pick up where we left off after last week's very white portion of my music history. I was listening to a lot of rock and pop music, but not just listening to the music. I was also reading the liner notes in the CDs and memorizing the names of all the band members and the producers and all of that stuff. For you kids who don't know, when you would buy a CD, they would have a little booklet that had some art in it. They would talk about the band members, the people who wrote it, maybe the song lyrics, and I would absolutely read along to all of those. That's how I learned a Bunch of stuff. One thing that I would do when reading the liner notes and then in magazine interviews, and like I said last week, I read a lot of different magazines Rolling Stone, Kerrang, Guitar World, Spin, Vibe. I would read all of those until they literally kicked me out of whatever old fashioned bookstore. I was, I don't know what, Walden books, whatever was in the mall, I don't know. I would read all of this stuff, specifically looking to see the artists in bands who influenced my favorite artists in bands and then see who influenced those people. So, example. Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. His big influences were Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, The Kinks, The Yardbirds, old school Fleetwood Mac, like Peter Green Fleetwood Mac, and some of those I already knew I had under my belt easy. Zeppelin is one of my mom's all-time favorites, and each of their first four albums, fun fact, Led Zeppelin's first four albums are titled One, two, three, and the fourth one is untitled, but it's usually referred to as four. All four of those are masterpieces. The Kinks and the Yardbirds back then, I had no idea. And like I said, forget everything you know about Fleetwood Mac. So the Fleetwood Mac that you know is very different from the Fleetwood Mac that started. The one that started was uh, from England and the singer for Fleetwood Mac, the band leader there was Peter Green and they were an old school blues band, and they were a very different band than they are now or than the one that you know. Peter Green eventually left. The couple other people, Mick Fleetwood and John and Christy McVie, uh found two Americans named Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, and then Fleetwood Mac took a turn, and they became a very different kind of awesome, but also a very different kind of band. Then I would look into who influenced those people who influenced The Kinks, who influenced the Yardbirds, uh, Robert Plant. So Robert Plant's influences, Chuck Berry, Skip James, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Robert Johnson. Aside from Chuck Berry, I was getting in way over my head. And luckily, right around then when I was doing all of that deep digging is when one of the most influential music moments happened to me. Napster. If you remember Napster, first of all, I hope you don't have any back pain today. And second, it was an absolute 100% game changer. I had so many bands and artists that I wanted to check out because they were the ones who were influencing my musical heroes at the time. But like I said in the last episode, I got burned so many times overpaying for CDs that ended up being trash and it made me super gun shy. So here comes peer-to-peer downloading where I can get any song, any album, or even like an entire band catalog for free. And I was more than willing to risk the viral health of my computer, my mom's computer, my grandparents' computer, to not have to pay for that shit again. I did believe back then, and I still believe now, that artists put a lot of work into their music and should be paid appropriate royalties. That is the moral and ethical thing to do. But. My first job out of high school was McDonald's, and I blew what little money I got on girls who were all lovey-dovey until I told them that my credit card was maxed out. Not that I'm bitter. I wasn't exactly a saint either. I think that's kind of part of what being young is about, causing some serious emotional trauma to people you say you care about because you haven't really learned to love yourself yet. Mike Ness wrote an entire song about it, and it's dead on balls accurate. It's called I Was Wrong. Look it up. It's phenomenal but I digress I was young I was cheap I was broke I downloaded for free everything I could possibly get my hands on and I burned CDs like a motherfucker music always playing headphones always in I had gotten my driver's license fun fact by the way about me getting my driver's license there was a point during my driving test where I was driving on the wrong side of the road, and you guys, I still passed. Where I lived up in Northern California, everything is 25 minutes away, so I'm driving everywhere because I love to drive, and I was that little twerp in the stoplight blasting music out of my car with reckless abandon. I really wish that I could apologize to all of those poor people who... I had no desire to hear the 80s thrash metal I was slapping out of my 92 Ford Escort. Every burn CD, every song, over and over again, I would play them in constant loops all the time until I memorized it many times over. In the midst of all of these songs that I was downloading, there was one CD that I invested my money into buying. Everything that I would read, every artist that I admired every greatest album of all time list in any magazine or anywhere that I could see. Whatever I was reading de jour, there were three words that were constantly showing up time and time again, kind of blue. Miles Davis, John Coltrane, the quintessential cool jazz album. Back when I was 15, whenever the hell that was, maybe the early 1920s, I don't know when it was. I went to the New Orleans Jazz Festival, and I actually got to see some pretty amazing stuff there. I saw the Neville Brothers. I remember seeing a little bit of B.B. King's set. They had a bunch of guest speakers and stuff talking about different types of jazz, which in New Orleans, jazz is just part of the feel down there it's part of the city you you can just you hear it on the street you can feel it on the street everywhere you go in new orleans there is country isn't playing blues isn't playing rock isn't playing rap isn't playing it's just jazz everywhere you go and i didn't really get it at the time but i did pay a lot of attention to all of these keynote speakers and different local artists and stuff that were breaking down the differences between all the different kinds of jazz cool jazz big band dixieland bebop smooth fusion modern latin and it, was I was young, so this was like way before music really kicked in for me. But the whole idea is it became so central to me when I was walking in the French Quarter, I did kind of like immerse myself in it. So a few years later, when I started seeing Miles Davis and, and Kind of Blue popping up everywhere that mattered to me, I realized, I figured the album had to be a big deal. So let me paint the picture for you with this album. A 19-ish... 20 year old me took my first trip driving in san francisco but i did it very late at night i think i got to the city at like 11 p.m and after i crossed the bay bridge i put the cd on i got off the freeway and i drove through the heart of the city geary street south park the warfield the Embarcadero. I didn't have a map, I didn't have a destination, I didn't have anywhere to be, I had a full tank of gas. It was later in the year, it was a little foggy, the streets were quiet, they were filled with mystery, and the backdrop of all of this was this moody soundtrack that matched perfectly, the beauty of the city that I was driving around in. And that's kind of the night I realized that jazz isn't really about the music. It's about the vibe. You don't hum along or tap your toes to jazz. You don't even hear jazz. You feel it. There is no classroom in the world that can teach you what I learned driving in my car that night about jazz. And Kind of Blue, as we're talking, is my second favorite album of all time. All right, let's talk about my band. Because this shit gets off the charts. And I mean literally, we didn't chart at all. My band's first show was for my senior project in high school. My senior paper was titled The Influence of Rock and Roll on Popular Culture and Society because of course it was. I did end my paper with a quote by Marilyn Manson, which the idea of that just doesn't really age well. For the demonstration portion of my senior project. I'm not really sure how I did it, but somehow I found a way to have our band play in the theater of our high school. And I got a few teachers to bring their classes over to watch us. I seriously don't remember how I pulled that. I got myself all hyped up to be the front man and to sing and play guitar in my cute little you know, whatever, 16, 17 year old head, I was already well on my way to becoming the consummate rock star. Now for the record, I wanna say that these days, I'm a pretty fair singer, and I have some shitty karaoke videos to back up my my statement. But back then, I sucked. I walk up to the mic and I choked. So we actually didn't end up having a singer But we did play three metallica songs and we actually had a blast we sounded pretty good it was my first moment in the spotlight and it felt righteous i must have done something awesome and right that day a fun little factoid about yours truly and normally i would say tmi but there's really no such thing as tmi around these parts the day my band played our first show i lost my virginity there was a girl that i was kind of sort of talking to that walked up to me and said, and this isn't a verbatim quote, but this is pretty damn close. She said, I thought you were super hot up there. And if you want, I'll help you pack up all your stuff. And if you can give me a ride to your place, I'll totally fuck you. No bullshit. I had never even kissed a girl before that moment. So anyone who tells you that playing guitar doesn't get you chicks, atomic skull podcast at gmail.com. I think I actually have somewhere have a picture of the first show that we did. If I can track it down, I'll throw it up on the Instagram. We worked our asses off, we argued a bunch, and we were some very, very naughty boys. We played some house parties and killed it, had a blast. Our drummer got us a gig at an Irish pub, and we kind of became the house band there after a few shows, making precisely zero dollars total. This is how stupid our young and dumb asses were. They even offered us free food every weekend and we turned it down. Their specialty was fish and chips. I fucking love fish and chips. I am such an idiot. We played a bunch of old rock covers, Bon Jovi, Blink-182, Three Doors Down. We ended every show we ever played with Paradise City by Guns N' Roses, which was just the best way to end the show. It was chaos. We did write a few originals and we scraped together 500 bucks and recorded maybe the single worst demo any band has ever recorded ever. We did it in the back of a carpet store and it was produced by a sweet, sweet man who spoke no English. He had no idea what it is that we wanted to do. The edits are worse than the edits in this podcast. It was so bad. Yes, I have the songs on my computer. Yes, it sounds as horrific as I am telling you. And no, there is no way any of you guys are ever going to hear it. You can fight me. Maybe I'll, like, fire up a Patreon about it or something and, like, put a $500 tier and then I'll upload the songs and then after 20 years we could finally say we broke even on our demo. (laughs) Alright, so I am going to bring the room down a little bit and tell you a story. I think that I was 19 years old. It was as normal a day as any other one, except for the fact that a few days before I decided that was it. All right. When I wanted to, when I chose to do this podcast, I promised that I would be honest. I would be honest with myself, I would be honest with you. I am an open book when you ask me the right questions, but actually opening up is really tough for me. I have had a constant struggle with mental health, including and especially suicide. Since I was shit man, probably nine or 10 years old, the idea that I didn't want to be alive anymore popped into my head for some reason really really early and I remember being about 10 years old the first time I actually said it out loud to somebody I don't remember who it was but whoever it was it was a family member they just said don't say that and that was kind of the last that I ever really opened up about it to my family and before I get into this specific story I want to say that i'm not glorifying anything here if you're having a tough time reach out to somebody there is somebody out there that wants you to be okay please 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 take a few minutes to think about yourself and think about the fact that if if suicide is even in your brain a little bit it is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Reach out to me, man. I will talk to you. I will talk to you all night long if that's what you need. But take care of yourself, okay? Mental health, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Okay. Leading up to this particular day, back then, things were not going well, to say the least. And I decided that i wanted it to be a picture wrap on young kidson and i figured out how i wanted to do it how i wanted to be found i've always been very detail oriented probably not the best time for a joke but you gotta laugh a little i went and got a blank piece of computer paper and a pen and i sat down to write my letter to write my actual suicide note. I'm not kidding. On the top of the page, I wrote to whom it may concern with a colon. Why did I use a colon? One, because I actually listened to my English teachers and two, because I didn't really think that anyone would care enough to read it or for it to really matter to anybody. So I kind of wanted to make it seem professional. I put the pen down to the paper And these are the exact words that I wrote. Ever since I can remember, I've always been withdrawn. I'm not the kind of person that you'll remember when I'm gone. I stopped because I didn't really know what I wanted to write next, but I read that a couple of times and I realized it rhymed. And for some reason, I couldn't focus on anything else. I stopped what I was doing. I put the pen down and I grabbed my guitar. I started tankering around with some sad minor chords, which were my specialty back then. I put together a vocal line and a melody, and before I knew it, with tears pouring down my face, instead of writing a letter, I started writing lyrics. And instead of writing a note, I was writing a song. I worked on it all day and all night, I fell asleep literally with the guitar in my hands and I woke up the next day and then I woke up the next day after that and then I woke up the next day after that and that you guys is the first time that music literally saved my life and it would not be the last. I took myself really really seriously back then particularly with music. I held the saddest songs closest to my heart. I remember spending a weekend with my uncle and talking to him about sad songs and how much I love music and how it helped me with sadness and all that jazz, but not jazz. And he asked me, what about the music that makes you happy and the music that makes you wanna dance? I looked at him like I was a dog and he just showed me a card trick. There were literally zero songs back then that made me happy. I asked his wife at the time, who I absolutely adore, what songs made her happy. And she put on Blister in the Sun by Violent Femmes, which is a song that to this day is a two and a half minute blast of serotonin for me. It took a while for me to understand the concept. I definitely took the scenic route to it, but I did get there later on, much later on. My uncle gave me a blank cassette tape that he made with songs that he liked. He said, these are songs that kind of, you know, make me feel really good. There was some new order on it and some seal and uh, I don't even remember what it was, but it was different and I really, really liked it. And that was only one side. I It was blank. The front the front side was, was blank. He didn't write anything on it, but... The second side, side B, the back side, was the real business. I got bored of side one, and I flipped it around. And my uncle, I assume it was my uncle, had handwritten P-Funk Da Bomb on the back. And I had no idea what the hell that meant. But I played it one day, and when it comes to music that makes me want to dance... That, you guys, is when the mothership landed. As far as my band was concerned, we were friends first who loved music, and that's what it was that really brought us together. We were, we still are, brothers. We fought like brothers. We had a blast playing together, but despite our best efforts, we, I don't even want to say it, but we started growing up. We got big boy jobs, we found girls, we fell in love. We still listen to music together all the time, but playing music together kind of ended up taking a back seat to being responsible. And I will admit I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. I was working at a job from you know six to two, and then I would drive 40 minutes to band practice and maybe we would play a show. I would pack up all my shit, come back 40 minutes home, and maybe catch 4 or 5 hours of sleep before I woke up and did it all over again. It was a crazy time. We did support each other through growing up and becoming adults and all those steps forward we were making, but sadly the steps forward we were making were also steps we were taking away from each other, which sucked, man. It it I think it broke all our hearts. We did we have reconnected particularly over the last couple of years. I absolutely love those guys forever man that's for sure cheers to all of you guys all three of you love makes you do crazy things and the last nail in the coffin for playing in the band was me chasing a girl i fell in love with out of state i was bum over noggin for this girl at the time and i left northern california and moved down to arizona to be with her unfortunately i never played in a band again. And two months after I moved, all of my gear got stolen. If that isn't the perfect end to this chapter, I don't know what is, but it is still just the beginning of my musical journey. One year after I moved to Arizona, I became the manager at a music store. And that is where I am going to pick up next week to conclude my musical origin story probably. There are so many genres that I haven't even touched yet that I want to talk about. And I also have a nice little list going right now of like musical tastes and things that I like that should embarrass me, but don't. So next week is the episode. Y'all are going to realize how little shame I have, particularly when it comes to music. And that's going to lead us to the song of the week. Don't get mad at me but I am going to be a total son of a bitch and sneak a sixth song onto my list of songs I wanna hear before I die. This is the last song that got cut from the list, but I do want to recognize and pay tribute to it because it makes me feel everything. It is a very personal song, lots of emotions. I don't wanna get too far into it, but what I will say is I cannot think of any other song that has equal parts of heartbreaking pessimism and undying hope all in one. It is one of the most beautiful songs ever written and that song is Shake It Out by Florence and the Machine. I have added it to the playlist on Spotify, Atomic Skull Songs of the Week. Got a nice little list going on there with a bunch of different stuff. Follow it. Check it out. Listen to it. Let me know which one is your favorite. And that is all I have for this week, you guys. Thank you so, so much. Please keep reaching out to me. I am getting fantastic feedback, positive and stuff to work on that I am taking to heart and I am trying to implement it. I am really, really trying my ass off to get better little by little. So I hope that you guys can hear it. I am continuing to have a blast doing this. It's all a process. I'm a work in progress, but I am super grateful for each and every one of you. I am Getting super close to 100 Instagram followers. I know that sounds small potatoes, but it is not for me. Uh, When I get to 100 Instagram followers, I am going to reward myself with a little something which I never ever do anything nice for myself. So please help me there at Atomic Skull Podcast for Instagram. Tell a friend, tell a couple of friends, have them listen, post it on the social medias, subscribe, give me five stars. And I will return that favor, you guys. Please don't be afraid to tell me what you are up to, what you have going on in your life. And I would be honored to support you guys in the exact same way. We're all trying to be creative out here. We're all trying to be positive, And if you're doing something great with the time that you have, I want to celebrate that right there with you. Please tell me all about that. I would love to hear it. That's all I got for this week, you guys. Thank you so much. I will see you next week. How are you doing?